found your place in Matthew 6, if you would stand for the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 20. And we're going to read verses 20 and 21 together. So everyone find your place there. And uh, let's read those. Here we go. Ready? But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The title of my sermon this morning is a very peculiar title. In fact, I have never heard a sermon preached on this out of this passage at this angle. I'm sure it's been done, but in all of my years of going to church, I have not. The title of the sermon is this, When Materialism Pleases the Lord. When Materialism Pleases the Lord. I'm going to explain that here in my introduction, what that title means. And by the end of the sermon, I know all of us will have a much better understanding of this. Let's pray. God, help us today to take these truths and, Lord, help it to radically transform our mentality and our mindset uh, toward money and toward finances and toward uh, the kingdom of heaven and and how uh, these things are to operate. Lord, work in our hearts not only today but all month long. May we commit to be faithful to church uh, through this series and Lord, use it uh, to shape our hearts and minds. Be with us today. Lord God, bless this service in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I've spent 38 years of my life sitting in a pew or standing behind a pulpit I have heard tens of thousands, literally tens of thousands of sermons at this point in my life preached. Um, uh, Someone uh, has gotten up and said oftentimes when I've heard preaching, preachers will get up and they'll say, "Um, if you'll listen to me this morning, the sermon I'm going to preach to you will change your life. This sermon will change your life. How many of you here have ever heard a preacher say something like that? This sermon will change your life. Listen, I've heard so many life-changing sermons, I don't even know who I am anymore. Um, But I've heard tens of thousands of sermons preached. Many of them have had to do with the topic of being devoted to God. You could honestly take every sermon that's preached, and you could probably put it into one of about ten categories. One of those categories would be devotion to God. I, I believe that we should be devoted to God, and categorically I preach often about this topic. Uh, to make the point about devotion, many preachers, me included, will paint materialism in a bad light. What is materialism? Materialism. This is one of these church words. This is a word you don't hear much outside of church. But what is materialism? Well, uh, the dictionary defines materialism this way. Ready? Preoccupation with or emphasis on material objects, comforts, and considerations with a disinterest in or rejection of spiritual, intellectual, or or cultural values. It is valuing material goods above the religious. It is the valuing of material goods above, uh, 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 rather putting it out of place and above where it ought to be. It is materialism is the worshiping of material goods above uh, those things that ought to be worshipped. The desire of material goods is one of Satan's greatest distractions to humanity. We see phrases like this. These are often uh, bumper stickers, okay? The only difference between men and boys are the price of their toys, right? The only difference between men and boys are the price of their toys. Um, Here's another one. He who dies with the most toys wins. He who dies 
with the most toys wins. And so uh, materialism, if we're going to be honest this morning, materialism is a religion. It's a religion. Now, to be a monotheist, engage with me on purpose for a minute, okay? To be a monotheist means that you worship one God. You worship one God. Mono, meaning one. And you know what? The God of the Bible has ordered that we worship Him and Him alone. Deuteronomy 6, I am the Lord thy God, and, and, and uh, you are to worship Him and Him alone. Uh, he's the only one you ought to serve. He's the only one you ought to worship. Unfortunately, many churchgoers want to be a monotheist, but if we're honest with ourselves, many church members are actually polytheist. What is a polytheist? Someone who worships multiple gods. Poly meaning many. Many gods. Uh, so, a plurality of gods. Now, um, they try and worship the God of heaven while also worshiping themselves. We're really good at worshiping ourselves. We try to worship the God of heaven, but we're worshiping ourselves. That's humanism. And then we end up worshiping money and material goods. That's materialism. God has commanded the church to advance the gospel message both across the street and across the globe. That is the commission of the church. Advance the gospel message. By the way, what is the gospel message? For those of you visiting today and wondering what White Oak Baptist Church believes, the gospel message is, it is the death, it is the burial, it is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Salvation is a gift from God, Romans 6.23, Ephesians 2.8. It is the gift of God, it cannot be earned. Titus 3.5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He has saved us. Uh, uh, Ephesians 2.8.9 says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You receive the gift of salvation by extending the hand of faith and believing that Jesus Christ died for you alone on the cross. He took your sins uh, to the grave with him and then he stood up from death and he is alive today. He not only uh, died because of your sin, he defeated your sin in his resurrection and he freely offers you the gift of eternal life that he purchased on the cross and with his resurrection and when you extend the hand of faith and believe in Jesus alone, he gives you the gift of eternal life. That is the gospel message, and it has radically changed the lives of billions of people all around the world throughout the history of the church. And you know what? The gospel message wants to change your life. If you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ alone, salvation is a free gift. You say it can't be that easy. It is that easy. In fact, Jesus, uh, when he was asked about it, he grabbed the child nearby and he sat the child in his lap and he said, you must believe like this child. You must have childlike faith. Salvation is so simple, a child can do it. It's not something that you earn. It's not something you get. Uh, many people think they're going to die and they're going to stand before the gate of heaven and God's going to say, all right, let me see it. Let me see what, Lord? Let me see your denomination card. Were, were you a good Catholic? No, 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 that's not how we get into heaven. Well, were you a good Presbyterian? God doesn't care about that stuff. Were you a good Baptist? Uh, uh, surely, uh, I got a Baptist. I was a member at White Oak Baptist Church. Here it is, Lord. Let me in. God's going to say, I don't care what church you were a member of. I want to know, did you put your faith in Christ alone to be your Savior? 
That's what it comes down to, my friend. You don't have to go to church to get saved. If you're at home right now and you're watching uh, on the Internet, uh, you don't have to come into this auditorium to be saved. You can bow your head right where you are and by simple faith say to the Lord, I am a sinner. I don't deserve salvation. I believe you died for me. My faith is in you alone. And if you'll mean that from your heart, the Holy Spirit will draw you to salvation. And so this life changing message was given to the church. We've been given this and we are to get it to the world. Now, let me illustrate this uh, briefly here. Pastor Andrew, could you come up here on the platform and help me? And Brother Manny, could you come up on the platform quickly and help me? Let's say here uh, for illustration that I owed Manny $20. All right, let's just say Manny loaned me $20 and, and I owed that to him. And, and Pastor Andrew was with me and, and I had to go on a trip. I was going to be out of town and, and I wanted to get the money to Manny. And I knew Pastor Andrew was going to see Manny at church the next day. And so I reach in my pocket and I give $20 to Pastor Andrew. I don't have $20 on me. Amen. But I give Pastor Andrew $20 and I say, will you give this to Manny when you see him? And you say, Yep, okay, and I go on my trip trusting Pastor Andrew is going to get that money to Manny. I get back in town a week and a half later, and Manny comes up to me and says, Hey, uh, not to be a pest or anything, but you got my $20? Now, let me ask you a question. Who owes Manny $20? But who else owes Manny $20? Him, Right? Now watch this. Jesus stood on the mount and he said, Here, church, I'm giving you the gospel message to give to the world. One day I'm coming back and I'm going to check and see what you did. Now, uh, if the world does not get the gospel message, who failed to get the gospel message to the world? The church. You see, it's, it's stealing for him to sit on that $20 and take his wife out for a hamburger. Right? And it's stealing for you to take the gospel message for yourself and not pass it along to the rest of humanity who needs Jesus. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much. How do we get the gospel message to the globe? There's two methods. First, we go. We go. How do we advance the gospel message We have to go. If the world does not hear, it's because the church and the people that sat on the pews in the church did not go. Now, uh, we must go. There's no other way around it. There's no other way around it. Can I tell you how you go? You get up off the chair in your living room. And you go into your bedroom and you put your clothes on. And you walk out the front door and you get in your car and you go to the church and you get some gospel tracts and you get a friend and you get in your car and you go into the community and you do it. Is that too simple of preaching for you this morning? We have to go. And you know what? God calls some folks that are sitting on a comfortable chair in uh, uh, New England to leave New England and raise money and go to the other side of the globe and go tell the world over there about uh, Jesus. Uh, I heard a stat recently at a conference, and the stat was that uh, 4% of uh, the world uh, hears 96% of the gospel message. 96% of preachers give the gospel to 4% of the world. Here's another way of looking at it. 96% of the world 
only has 4% of the gospel preachers telling them. 96% of the world has 4% of the preachers telling them about Jesus. You know why? Because we're not going. There's another way that we advance the gospel message, and that is the word give. Give. Now, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, we find a world word of plurality. It is the word both. And the Bible says in Acts 1, 8 uh, that we're to, go, uh, we're to go take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, both to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. Now, I can't go in Stratford and go in Bangladesh. I can't. You know what I can do? I can either go in Bangladesh or I can go in Stratford. I, there's no clone machine. I can't do both. So you know what I do? I go here and I give so other people can go in my place. We go and we give. Now, I have found in my Christian life some people are more natural at going and other people are more natural at giving. But everyone is commanded to do both. I look at our offerings in the bulletin each week and I'm left with this question. Why don't God's people give more? Why don't God's people give more? There is no way that everyone on the membership role of our church gives what they ought to give. Because if they did, our offerings would be triple or quadruple what they are. Now, before someone sits there who comes from a health and wealth background church or skeptical toward me, listen, I, I'm not looking for a raise as pastor of White Oak Baptist Church. I am given a middle-class type salary, and I'm very content with that. I'm not looking for more money to come into the church so I can make myself more rich or drive a fancier car. That is not the intent of me saying this. I'm just, I'll, just, I'll just address the elephant in the room. The reality is the more money we have in the offering plate, the more effective we can be with the gospel. The more people we can reach with the gospel. Tracks cost money. Missionaries cost money. Uh, church programs that reach people cost money. And uh, listen, we are, we are uh, looking at our offerings week after week after week and praying that they'll be sufficient so that we can continue to advance the gospel message. And listen, I want you to hear this number. Uh, we have a population approaching 8 billion people on planet Earth. There are 2 billion people, 2 billion people estimated on planet Earth who have never heard the name Jesus Christ. Put that next slide up there for me. 2 billion people. Without Christ. Longitude, latitude of 1040. Two billion people live in that window. And the large majority of them have never even heard the name. Never even heard the name Jesus. If you were to get into a taxi cab somewhere in that window, and you were to say to the person driving your taxi cab, do you know who Jesus is? They look at you and say, who is that? Now that blows our minds. Because we've grown up in church. And we've grown up in a country where crosses are on jewelry and they're everywhere. There's a church in every corner. Some form of a Christian church in every corner. Two billion people have never even heard the name Jesus. They don't know who He is. Two billion people. Why? Because we have a lack of people to go and a great chasm in our giving. Why don't more people share the gospel here in our own neighborhoods? Forget the Middle East for a minute. What about your neighbors? What about your coworkers? 
What about your family? What about the people that live in your town? They may know generically who Jesus is, but has someone ever clearly explained to them how they can go to heaven one day? Oftentimes, people are too busy, too busy, too busy chasing earthly possessions and comfortable living. They don't give God what's best. They end up giving God what's left. The title of the message this morning is this, When Materialism Pleases God. Did you know that God designed you to be materialistic? He designed you to be materialistic. What? Yep, you heard me right. But He doesn't want you to be locked in on earthly materialism. He wants you to be locked in on eternal materialism. God wants you to be motivated by things that make you comfortable. In heaven. In heaven. He wants you to lock in on things that make you comfortable, not here on earth, but are going to make you comfortable in eternity. Alright? Uh, let's do, let's look at three thoughts as we begin our series, Rich Toward God, as we look at this title, When Materialism Pleases the Lord. Okay. Let's take some notes this morning. On the back of your bulletin, you'll find a fill in the blank outline. Get those pens out. Here we go. Number one, we desire excessive comfort. We desire excessive Comfort. Uh, This is a God-given desire. God uses comfort, being comfortable, as the carrot on the end of the string to motivate us to give our life and live our life for Him. All the things we clamor for, God promises to those who serve Him. Let me give you, let me show you if you, all right? Uh, First notice, we find comfort through wealth. We find comfort through wealth. Take your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And look at verse number 11. While you're turning there, with the rise of inflation over the last few decades, experts now say that you must retire with $2 million in the bank to be considered wealthy. $2 million in the bank. And that, that's true. Yeah, I know that's funny to some of you. That's the truth. If you don't have $2 million, $2 million in the bank, uh, when you hit retirement age, you cannot label yourself wealthy. A million dollars, if you're going to live into your 80s, you're going to have to really be careful and budget that to get by. Um, Paul told Timothy that the love of money is the root of all evil. Are we to love money? Are we to love money? Where did this desire come from to love money? I believe the desire to love wealth came from God as an incentive for us to work hard toward our heavenly bank accounts. A minute ago, we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 3 here, but a moment ago, we opened with Matthew 6, lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Where did the desire to be wealthy came from? It came from God. Where does it come from? It comes from God. He he put that in our heart to desire wealth because He wants us to be wealthy, lay up wealth in heaven. Look at 1 Corinthians 3 and we read about the judgment seat of Christ for the Christian in heaven. Verse 11, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, this life, Christian life foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble. Verse 12, we have two groupings of materials used to build our Christian life. There's going to be gold, silver, and precious stone. That's one group. And then there's wood, hay, and stubble. That's another group. Look at verse 13. Every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Now, uh, the obvious observation here is that if I place wood, hay, and stubble into a fire, I'm going to be handed a pile of soot and ash. 
If I place gold, silver, and precious stone into a fire, I'm going to have a refined version of gold, silver, and precious stone. And so your life is either going to be, when you get to heaven, wood, hay, and stubble, or it's going to be gold, silver, and precious stone. And what's left over is going to be your wealth in heaven for all of eternity. We find comfort through wealth. Next, notice we find comfort in nice clothes. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 61. According to multiple sources... In the U.S., the average family of four spends around $1,700 per year on clothing. $1,700 per year on clothing. Some of you ladies went out shopping this weekend and spent more than that in one weekend. Amen? $1,700 per year on clothing. Uh, Now, I have to say, I'm not against spending money on clothes. I like nice clothes. All right? Um... Occasionally, I get in my car and I drive to the outlets in, uh, out in Clinton. And I, I go out there and I buy myself some clothes. I buy myself some shoes. Can I just say that when it comes to shoes, it's important you get a good, comfortable pair of shoes. Amen? Isn't that important? Listen, I grew up in a family of, of where I was one of seven children, and we got the Walmart special. Whatever the Walmart special was... That's what we wore. And they weren't always very comfortable. And now that I'm my own adult man, I'm going to buy myself, I'm spending a little money, I'm going to buy myself a nice pair of shoes. and um, uh, Blue jeans. All right, you see blue jeans up there on the screen. There, enough cannot be said about a good, comfortable pair of blue jeans. Can I get an amen right there? Good, comfortable pair of blue jeans. Uh, when you've got to, and listen, I know teenagers like to have like tears and holes in their blue jeans. That's not necessary. Amen. If you want holes, look, I give you a pair of my old blue jeans and you can wear those. All right. You can wear my old blue jeans. I, I wear them out sometimes. They, they got oil stains on them. You don't even have to pay a designer to do it. I'll do it for you. I change my own oil and, and sometimes I'm outside pulling weeds and I, I wear a hole out in my knee. You can have those. And guess what? They're even baggy to where they'll fall off of you. So, uh, because I'm so big. So you don't have to worry about that. You, you can have my old jeans. But, uh, look, a good comfortable pair of jeans and a good comfortable pair of shoes, uh, everyone enjoys that. Where did this desire for nice clothes come from. It came from God. Look at Isaiah 61. Look at verse 10. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he hath, look here, clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. We spend money on Clothing, one day God is going, we get to heaven, God is going to wrap us in garments of salvation. He's going to put upon us the robe of righteousness. You say, Pastor, is this metaphorical? I don't believe it is. I believe one day God is going to give us a wardrobe to wear that is going to be the garments of salvation and a robe of righteousness. Not only do we find comfort in nice clothes, we find comfort in a big home. We find comfort in a big home. According to RocketMortgage.com, the average square footage of a U.S. home in 2019 was 2,301 square feet. 2003, some of you say, I would love to live in a house that was 2,301 square feet. But that's the average home. Average home in the U.S. is 2,301 square feet. And by the way, this is much, much, much larger than people around the world enjoy. 
How many of you have lived in or visited another country and seen people live in homes much, much smaller than that? You know what I'm talking about this morning? And uh, we love our big homes. How many of you have seen this uh, kick in the last uh, decade or two about tiny houses? I would never want to live in a tiny house, right? <laughs> Who wants to live in a shoebox, right? You know, you... Uh, you sleep here, and then you turn around, and five feet away you go to the bathroom there. What kind of quality living is that, right? Um, but um, uh, I, listen, 2,301 square feet is a large home. Take your Bibles to John 14. John 14. Where did the desire to live in a big home come from? Well, uh, we're told in the Bible uh, that God promises mansions to those who are saved. Now, I don't know what the qualification of a mansion in heaven is, but I know that the general consensus amongst U.S. realtors is that a home must be 7,000 square feet for a home to be considered a mansion. 7,000 square feet. I don't know that anyone who attends this church lives in a house that big. But 7,000 square feet is a large, large home. Um, look at John 14. Look at verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, look here, are many mansions. You say, well, that's no guarantee. Well, let's keep reading. Jesus says, if it were not so, I would have told you. Look here, I, Jesus says, go to prepare a place for you. Who's he preparing mansions for? He's preparing mansions for his disciples. Verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you into myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. You know what's really neat is when you're having a home built from the ground up. I've not experienced this, but I've watched friends of mine experience this. And you know, you go and the day they pour the foundation. And then you go and they got the framework up. And then they're putting the outside walls up. And then they're putting the ele- they're running all the electrical and the plumbing. And, and then comes the sheetrock. And, and, and then uh, comes the mudding and taping. And, and the floors go down. And the painting. And, and the finishing uh, touches. And the day comes where you move in. What is the Lord Jesus doing in heaven right now? There's many things He's doing. But one of the things He's doing is He's our master builder. And He's putting the finishing touches on your mansion and my mansion mansion and one day when we move into heaven we're going to get to move in our very own mansion you know the bible tells us there will be no marriage or giving in marriage in heaven so ladies when you move into your mansion you won't even have to pick up your husband's socks off the floor amen there won't be any socks to pick up hallelujah we find comfort in a big home notice next we find comfort in good food we find comfort in good food. Oh, pastor, it's 11.15. Don't start talking about food. I'm about to torture all of us. Amen. Turn over to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19. According to youneedabudget.com, in 2021, the average American ate out 5.9 times per week. Don't ah me. You're the one guilty of it. 5 point, that's almost once a day. All right? Now, if you think 5.9 times per week is a staggering number, listen to this. The average household spends around $3,500 per year at restaurants. Wow. 
That's a lot of money. $3,500 per year at restaurants. Many of you will leave here this morning and you're going to go out to eat. You're going to get the week started off by eating out. Can I just say, there's nothing quite like a well-seasoned steak that's been seared just right. Why do you got to do that to us, Pastor? <laughs> Brother Joe, if, if the screen glitches right there the rest of the service, that's okay, all right? One of the things I enjoy about Southern Connecticut is the array of great food options. Listen, next time you want to complain about the high taxes and all the things about Connecticut that people complain about, I have lived all over all over um, America, east of the Mississippi River, and I have not lived in an area with better food options than southern Connecticut. We are blessed. If I'm ever having a rough day or rough week, there are some restaurants I know will cheer me up. Where did comfort from good food come from? God gave us this to be satisfied in heaven. Look at Revelation 19 and look at verse number 7. It says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the lamb is come and his wife hath made herself ready and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, write, blessed are they which are called after the marriage supper of the lamb. And he saith unto me, these are the true sayings of God. Uh, listen, this dinner in heaven, the marriage supper of the lamb will be like no other dinner you've ever attended. A handful of times in Revelation, uh, tribute to nation, creed, and tongue are referenced. Listen, God's not going to deal away, do away with nationalities in heaven and, 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 and cultures in heaven and, and He may not even do away with color in heaven. We're going to get to heaven and we're all going to come together. Any semblance of racism and prejudice will be dismissed and we'll stand arm in arm and shoulder to shoulder and we're going to praise the God of heaven together for all of eternity. It's going to be wonderful. But you know what else we're going to do? We're going to eat like there's no tomorrow. One of my favorite events at White Oak Baptist Church every year is our international dinner. We're blessed here to be culturally diverse. And we have people from Asia. We have people from Africa. We have people from South America, Central America, Europe. And we have this dinner. And I tell you, I go around and I... I sample almost everything. Amen? There's some things that I'm afraid to touch, but I sample almost everything. You know what heaven's going to be? It is going to be the greatest international dinner that has ever, ever, ever been served. You say, Pastor, do you think they're going to have food for my country in heaven? I, I'm just going to speculate here, but I think they very well may. But watch this. It won't just be food from every nation currently. There's going to be an array of food from generations past, and heaven is going to be a time of great comfort through great eating. You say, Pastor, aren't you overemphasizing this a little bit? Well, I don't know. God sure thought it necessary to talk about there being a marriage supper of the Lamb. He even gave us a parable in Matthew to talk about the, 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 the dinner that was prepared and He likened it to heaven and the guests that came and, and the, the meal that was prepared for them. We find comfort in good food. But where did this comfort come from? Why did God give us this to enjoy? He did not give us 
this just to enjoy so we can eat delicacies here on earth. He put this desire to be comforted by food because heaven is awaiting. We find comfort in pure water. Turn over to Revelation 22. According to ConsumerReports.org, in 2018, Americans spent a staggering $31 billion on bottled water. $31 billion, with a B, on bottled water. I grew up drinking water out of the water hose outside. I don't, I don't really get this, all right? Um, uh, my son gives me a bottle of water every week before I get up to preach, but the truth is he could go next door and get it out of the hose, and I would drink it, amen? You say, you're being facetious. No, I mean it. I grew up that way, and my wife thinks I'm crazy, but um, I, uh, I, I, I don't get it. I... I drink, how many of you here drink tap water? Anybody drink tap water? God bless your souls. There are some good people left on planet Earth. Um, how, how many waters, be honest, how many water snobs we have here? I only drink bottled water. I only drink bottled, if it's not out of a bottle. Oh, we have people holding up bottled water in the auditorium. All right. So, uh, by the way, by the way, if any of you are wondering, my wife will not drink Fiji water. You say, why won't she drink Fiji water? I'll let you ask her that after church. Amen? She's, my, my sister is a missionary to Fiji. She has reasons for why she won't drink Fiji water. And I'll let her tell you after church. So um, there's going to be a, a group of people surrounding the pastor's wife. So pure water. Look at Revelation 22, verse 1. Revelation 22, 1. He, the Bible says here, And he showed me a pure river of water of life clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. Jesus Himself is called the living water. I, 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 I'm trying to picture this, but one day, the Lord Jesus is going to sit on a throne in the New Jerusalem, and a river of water is going to come flowing from that throne with the purest drinking water that you could ever behold. Why did God give us a desire to drink pure water. He gave us this desire so that one day we would be comforted in heaven by the pure water. We find comfort in eating exotic fruits. Eating exotic fruits. Um, one of the things I enjoy about going to visit my wife's home country of Peru are the markets with the fruits. Now, I've not been brave enough to go to the market yet, but my mom-in-law will go, and uh, she'll. Uh, my wife's gone, my daughter's gone, but they'll go and they'll gather these exotic fruits. How many of you have ever been to an international fruit market? You know what I'm talking about. Uh, and listen, I hear when you ask missionaries what their favorite, one of their favorite things in their country is, oftentimes it's this. It's the exotic fruits. And they're so much cheaper there than fruit we get here and so much less processed uh, with less chemicals there than they are here, ripe and fresh. And look at, uh, look at Revelation chapter 22, and look at verse 2. The Bible says, In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. One day we're going to get to walk up to that river of life, we're going to get to drink the water right from there, and we're going to get to eat the fruit and put it right in our mouth. Notice next, we find comfort in the absence of sorrow. We find comfort in the absence of sorrow. Now, I had no problem finding out how much Americans spend on bottled water, and how much Americans spend eating out, and how much Americans spend on clothing. 
But when it came to this next heavy topic, for some reason, stats are just buried. They're, they're, they're taken away. They're not available. And I spent a couple of hours um, looking in all sorts of places and, and was only able to come up with just a little bit of information. And I don't even know really how accurate my information is. I want to make sure I say that up front here. And I believe what I'm going to share with you, while it's a staggering number, I, I believe it's just the tip of the iceberg. And I believe the number I'm giving is, is highly conservative. Analysisgroup.com published an article on May 5th 2021 that says, and I'm reading from the article, Today, Pharmacoeconomics published the latest installment of a 30-year research program tracing the true cost of major depressive disorder, also known as MDD, in the U.S. The current study finds that the economic burden of major depressive disorder in 2018, now this is pre-pandemic, rose 38% since 2010, affecting 17.5 million adults at a total cost of $326 billion. The burden includes the direct medical costs of treating MDD, the cost for treating comorbidities, morbidities, suicide-related costs, and workplace productivity impacts. $326 billion people spend, or rather it costs the economy for major depressive disorder. There are, many other, um, there are many other reasons why someone would go look for an antidepressant than just major depressive disorders. The pharmacy industry does not want us, Big Pharma does not want us to know how much Americans spend on antidepressants. That's the conclusion I came from from several hours of doing research it's easy to find data on these other things. Very hard to find data on what Americans or even people around the world spend on drugs. Turn over to Revelation 21 and look at verse 4. I'm not here to preach against any depressants today. That's not the point of the sermon. But I, I want to highlight the sorrow in the world and the desire to have relief from sorrow. Look at Revelation 21:4, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. There is no greater comfort than the absence of emotional hurt and brokenness. Humanity craves for this peace and comfort. Where did such a desire come from? Where does the desire come from to get find relief from, from emotional pain and emotional sorrow and all of the emotional hardships that plague us? Where does that desire come from? It came from God and will not be fully understood and enjoyed until we get to heaven. There's going to be a day where God comes and He wipes away the tears from every eye for all of eternity. You talk about disrupting Big Pharma. Big Pharma will no longer be needed because God will take away all sorrow and pain. We desire excessive comfort. Why? Because heaven is awaiting and heaven is a place of excessive comfort. Notice next, we find comfort in the absence of pain. And here, I'm talking about physical pain. Many people live with chronic pain in their body. 
When the pain becomes unbearable, we turn to pills or shots or therapy or surgery in an effort to improve our quality of life. Obviously, I'm not preaching against these things. I'm for them. I, I think they're necessary. But we desire comfort from an absence of pain. Again, I could not find a number of the hundreds of billions of dollars that Americans spend on anti-inflammatories and cortisone shots and, and corrective surgeries. But uh, you could assume it's in the hundreds of billions of dollars spent annually. Look at Revelation 21 and look at verse 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Look here. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Some of you here live with chronic back pain or chronic knee pain or chronic shoulder pain or uh, you have uh, some sort of digestive issue or uh, you have a, a, a liver or gallbladder or kidney that is sick and, and you live with constant pain. You grit your teeth on a regular basis and 800 milligrams of ibuprofen just isn't cutting it anymore. And you know what it means to be in pain. My friend, there's a day coming in heaven where God gives you a new body and you will never experience pain again. Where did this desire to live pain-free come from? It came from the Creator and will not be fully realized until we get to heaven. Notice next, we find comfort in a city of safety and beauty. Safety and beauty. Yearly tax dollars in the billions are spent all around the world. Hundreds of billions of dollars are spent around the world to fund police departments and private security to provide cities and neighborhoods with a task that brings about safety. As the world uh, gets more sinful, the streets have become more dangerous. When I was a little boy, I'd come home from school and we had rabbit ear TV. How many old enough to know what rabbit ear TV is? To you kids, there was this antenna that you hooked in and it came out like this. And, and whatever you could pull down out of the air is what you watched. And uh, in, the, in Alabama, uh, uh, listen, there were two channels that from 4 o'clock to 6 o'clock, and one would do 4 to 6, the other would do like 8 to eight to 10, they would air the Andy Griffith Show. I love the Andy Griffith Show. I have access to watch the Andy Griffith Show now whenever I want. And uh, if you catch me um, slacking off, there's a good chance I'm watching the Andy Griffith Show. And uh, listen, I, I love the Andy Griffith Show, and I don't love everything about the Andy Griffith Show. I can nitpick it, and I have in my own heart and mind, and with other people, but I love the Andy Griffith Show. One thing I love about it is how that Opie was able to run all over Mayberry at five, six, seven years old without any concern of being kidnapped or, or injured or abused. How many of you are old enough to remember the days when you could actually do that? Anybody in here old enough? Some of you are like 20 and you're raising your hand, so that's not true, but um, old enough to remember those days, right? Everyone that raised their hand should remember when Andy Griffith was a live TV show, right? How many of you remember when it was a live TV show? Any of you old enough to remember that? And so Opie running around town, you know, you can't do that anymore. You can't let your kids just run all over the place. Um, so, uh, listen, uh, there's going to be a day where children can run around heaven and they'll never be at risk of ever being hurt. But not only do we desire a city that is safe, we desire a city that's beautiful. Look at me at Revelation 21 and look at verse 10. 
The Bible says, And He carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And her like light was likened to a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone clear as crystal. Look down at verse 18. Verse 18, the Bible says, And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold. Picture this in your head as we read. Like in a transparent glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third uh, that jewel, the fourth an emerald, the fifth uh, sardinox, the, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, eighth uh, uh, beryl, the ninth a topaz, the tenth uh, a, a Christophorus, the eleventh, a Jacinth, the twelfth, an uh, Amethyst, and the twelve, twelve gates were twelve pearls. Uh, uh, every several gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, as it were transparent glass. And I saw no temple therein, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb and the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it, for the, city, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof, and the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, and the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor into it, and the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there, and they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it, and there shall be in no and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Oh, what a day that's going to be. A day of excessive comfort. Where does this desire for a safe and beautiful city come from? It comes from God. He put this in your heart to help you crave a deeper relationship with Him and an earthly lifestyle that would bring glory and honor to Him. Number one, we desire excessive comfort. Quickly, number two, notice Satan offers an earthly counterfeit. Satan offers an earthly counterfeit. God wants us to go to heaven and be wealthy there. He wants us to be wealthy in heaven, but Satan wants, to, uh, wants us to be bankrupt and he wants to take us to hell. If he loses your soul to heaven, then he wants to limit your wealth in heaven. How does Satan go about doing this? He takes our desire for eternal comfort and he offers us an earthly counterfeit. It's a bait and switch. A bait and switch. He wants us to fixate. Watch this now. He wants us to fixate on earthly comfort and material goods. For the lost, He can take them down a path of great deception. It becomes a first-class comfortable ride to the pit of hell. Letter A, notice, is distraction to sinners. Take your Bibles over to Luke chapter 16 for me. Luke 16. Matthew 19.24 says, And God... And again, I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. What is Satan doing with wealth? He's distracting people. He's distracting people. I go out soul winning, door-to-door soul winning, and what I find is that the richer the neighborhood, the less likely they're going to let me tell them about how to get to heaven. Here's the logic. Because I have so much earthly wealth, and because I'm so successful on this side of eternity, then I can figure it out on the other side. And my friend, if that's what you're thinking, you are setting yourself up for a first-class ticket to hell. You're going to wake up one day, and you're going to find a rude awakening. Is it literally harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go into the kingdom of heaven? And I would say, yes, it is. Watch this now. It's not about being rich in money. It's about being rich in pride. 
Pride will send you to hell. Oh, I've got money. You know what money does to people? It ruins them. It ruins them. Rich people are some of the most snobbish people you'll ever meet. And before you go snubbing your nose at the people that live in Greenwich and New Canaan, what do you do when you see someone from Bridgeport? Oh, we snub our nose at people who have less than us. We all are tempted to do it. And if you're sitting here saying, well, I'm not tempted, you're lying. We're all tempted to do it. You know what? God oftentimes will bankrupt you materialistically or emotionally or in your health in order to bring down your pride so that He can save your soul. Look at Luke 16, look at verse 19. The Bible says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine, and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried away by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torment and seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom and he cried and said Father Abraham have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame but Abraham said son remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest good things and likewise Lazarus evil things but now he is comforted and thou art tormented Satan offers an earthly counterfeit. Hey, come move into this mansion. And you know what? If I can get you to live in a mansion uh, over in, in New Canaan or, or in Greenwich or, or even build a really big pretty house in Shelton or, or buy some uh, nice cape in Milford and, 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 live in, and live in a comfortable home here in Stratford and, and you're making 80000 to 100000 a year or more and, and you have all these nice things and, and you know what? Uh, you can go out and get a steak dinner when you want and, and, and you can go get the dog of your dreams and, and you can just live this life that's so comfortable and wonderful. And my friend, people are going to wake up one day and they're going to have nothing in hell because they were distracted by earthly materialism. I just tell you today that hell is a real place. Hell is a place where people are, are right now. Hell is a place that people go when they die if they die without Christ. And I don't care whether you owe uh, whether you're in debt to credit cards or you've got millions and millions of dollars in the bank, I don't care if you're the poorest man on earth or the richest man on earth or anywhere in between. Salvation is a free gift. You must humble your heart and receive Jesus. Don't let Satan distract you with his earthly counterfeit. Letter B, notice his distraction to the saved. Now this is going to be more aimed at the folks in the room here. Because I believe most of you to be saved. Take your Bibles to Luke chapter 12 and verse 16. Satan's great desire to distract people from the goodness of God. He is, he is the greatest scam artist alive. If Satan loses your soul to salvation, then he sure doesn't want you becoming zealous on God's behalf. He wants you to rest in the comforts of this earth. He wants you rather to bask in great earthly wealth. He wants you to be focused on material goods, money, and what is comfortable. He wants you to make your decisions based on what is comfortable, not on what is best for God's kingdom. 
This kind of thinking brings the wrath of God down on us. Look at Luke 12, look at verse 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Uh, Take thine ease. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? Look at verse 21. Here we get the title of our series. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Everybody look up here right now. Look up here at me. Are you rich toward God? Oh, I didn't ask you if you have a brokerage account. I didn't ask you if you had a 401k. I didn't ask you if you have hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands in the bank. I ask you this, what do you have in your heavenly bank account? Are you rich in heaven? Are you rich toward God? God does not like it when we put our earthly comfort ahead of eternal comfort. We are to prioritize heaven. Go back to Matthew 6 where we began this morning. We are to build up our eternal bank account before we focus on our earthly bank accounts. Now, notice in Luke 12, where we were just a moment ago, the problem wasn't that he had great abundance. The problem wasn't that he had a great wealth. The problem wasn't that he was rich on earth. The problem was that he was poor toward God. He had great wealth on earth while he was bankrupt in heaven. And God said, Thou fool! And he killed him that night in his sleep. Look at Matthew 6, look at verse 24. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Look here. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon, mammon means money. You, ye cannot serve God and money. I believe the biggest lie that Satan has sold the American Christian is this. You can serve God and money. You can do it. We have Christians who are mediocre in their faith because they're trying to do both and they can't. They have deceived themselves into thinking they can, but they can't. We give lip service to serving God. But we give the lion's share of our time to accruing great wealth and nice things. We worship comfort instead of God's kingdom. Satan has distracted the church with comfort while the world goes to hell. An unreached people group is a homogenous population who share the same geographical location, language, and culture and have never heard a clear presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want you to meet some of these groups this morning. First meet the Shahik people in Bangladesh. They are the largest unreached people group in the world. There are 135,227,000 of these dear souls. There are no known 
evangelical Christians among them. We are told that all 135,227,000 of them are Muslim. Meet the Rajput people in India. They are the eighth largest unreached people group in the world. There are 45,518,000 of these dear souls. There are no known evangelical Christians among the Rajput in India. We are told that 99.5% of them are Hindu. Meet the Persian people in Iran. God loves them just as much as He loves us. Jesus died for them just as much as He died for us. They're the 11th largest unreached people group in the world. There are 37,677,000 of these dear souls. Only 1.9% of them are evangelical Christians. We are told 97.3% of these folks are Muslim. Why is it that so few of these people know Jesus? Did Jesus die for them? Did Jesus love them? Is God calling all men, including these, to repentance? Many of these don't know Jesus because Christians are rich in earthly comfort, but poor in eternal comfort. What about your next door neighbor or your coworker? What about your Facebook friends? What about the kids who go to your school? Brother Jason, if you could bring this down here for me. I have a visual that I want to use to help us understand eternal comfort versus earthly comfort this morning. Your life on earth is quite short. Let go, please. Let go. Let go. Let go. Thank you. Your life on earth is quite short compared to your life in heaven. The tape here on this rope represents your life on earth. The rest of this rope represents your eternity in heaven. Now, truly, if this was going to be at ratio, this would have a, a, a dot. You with me this morning? It'd be a dot, because eternity is forever. And our life is like a vapor, the Bible says. But for the visual, I've got about six inches or so of this taped off. Now watch this. We're fixated on this. And we're ignoring that. We're fixated on how wealthy we are here. And how comfortable we are here. And we pay no mind about any of this. Here we are in high school. Where are you going to go to college? Hmm... Well, if I'm going to go to college, I want to pick a degree that's going to help me be able to go out and make lots of money so I can live in nice houses and I can have a nice boat. And I can uh, take nice, lush vacations and, and I can give my kids the world on a string. And we, 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 we look at high school for when we get out of college so that from here to here we can be comfortable while we forget about this. Here we are at 60, 62, 63 years old. Boy, I'm nearing retirement age and, and I've worked hard to build up a 401k or an IRA and I've worked hard to save my money so I can move to South Carolina or North Carolina or Florida and from here to here I can be really, really comfortable while we completely forget about all of eternity. 
Here we're focused on our family. Here we're focused on our children. Here we're focused on a good life. And we forget that there are 2 billion people in the 1040 window who've never even heard the name Jesus and are going to spend all of this in the devil's hell. I've used this before, but I think maybe this is a better you know, time to use it because we have now have a different perspective. Only one life, so soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. You know what? You die with millions of dollars in the bank, you don't get to take any of it into this. It all gets left right there. You die and, boy, you own a house with 7,000 square feet. You reach the mansion status. You don't get to take any of that into heaven. Boy, I wore nice clothes. I drove a fancy car. You don't get it all gets left behind when you leave that green right there and head into that. And then we're going to find out what you have in that eternal bank account. And some of you are going to leave millions of dollars in the bank here and have nothing in your bank account in heaven. All those unreached people groups, many of them don't even have a copy of the Bible in their language to even know who Jesus is because we're too busy using our intellect to get rich and to be comfortable. They're going to die and go to hell because we, Jesus gave us the gospel and we failed to give it to the world. Only one life, so soon it will pass. Only what's done. Am I get, do, do I have your attention this morning? Do we understand the importance of what we're doing today? Satan has get, sold us a counterfeit and we are distracted with materialism here when we should be focused on materialism here. Thank you, Brother Jason. Have you fallen for Satan's counterfeit? We desire excessive comfort. Satan offers an earthly counterfeit. Notice quickly, number three, the Lord offers eternal crowns. I'm going to go through these very quick. Very little commentary on these. Point one, highlighted the eternal bliss that awaits us in heaven. Whether you're a good Christian or a bad Christian, most all of these things await you, but God wants to award His children with crowns that they will own for all of eternity. Uh, these are available to those who prioritize the kingdom of heaven over building their own kingdom. What are these crowns? Well, in the New Testament, we're given five crowns. Letter A, notice, the crown of incorruptibility. The crown of incorruptibility. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Now, they do it up to obtain a corruptible crown. That's that green uh, life. That, that gets left behind. But we, an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, Paul said, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Notice it says that this crown is given to those who are temperate in all things. Temperate. Denying of the flesh for a greater cause. Denying of the flesh for a greater cause. Letter B, notice the crown of rejoicing. Are you temperate? 
Do you know how to say no to your flesh so that you can do something greater for God uh, in the kingdom of heaven? Crown of rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? The crown of rejoicing has also been called the soul winner's crown. So let's say today you get in your car and you're on your way home and someone runs a red light and kills you. Now that's probably not going to happen. I sure hope it doesn't happen. But just for... Just for, um, uh, for, for, for sake of example, let's say someone runs a light, a red light, and hits your car and kills you. And let's say that you have put your faith in Christ alone to save you. So you're going to go to heaven. You're a believer in Christ. You're going to go to heaven. All right, listen up here. When you walk through heaven's gate, will there be anybody there to greet you who says, because of you, I got saved? Will there be anyone? I got saved because of your witness. I got saved because of your missions giving. I got saved because you were faithful to serve the Lord. You see, Paul said, whatever crowns I get from God are great. But when I get to heaven and I see all of you people from the church of Thessalonica who got saved as a result of that missionary journey where I stopped in there in Macedonia and I preached the gospel and a whole bunch of you got saved and a whole bunch of you started a church, he said, when I get to heaven, you are going to be my crown. Oh, what a day that will be. I can't wait to get to heaven and meet all the people who are there because of the money that my wife and I put in the offering plate for missions and meet all the people that are there because of the witness that I gave to tell others about Jesus. Will there be people there because of you? Crown of rejoicing. Let her see. Notice. Crown of righteousness. Crown of righteousness. 2 Timothy 4.8 Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day and not only to me, and not to me only rather, but unto all them that also love is appearing. Last night we had a couple of families come over to our home and enjoy a meal with us. And uh, we invite people over on a regular basis. And I'd say we average once, or, once a week or so having some church folk over into our home. We love to host. We, we, we enjoy the hospitality part of church ministry. And you know what happens about an hour before people show up? You know what happens? It is mayhem. I'm, we're running here and we're running there and we're pushing this dirt into this closet and we're, you know, we're, uh, we're tidying this up and, and we're fluffing these pillows and we're wiping this counter down and people walk in the door and they say, wow, nice, you keep your house so clean, you should have been here an hour ago, right? The Bible says the crown of righteousness are for those that love the thought of His appearing. One day Jesus is going to come back down to the clouds and He's going to call us up to heaven. Are you living your life in such a way that's ready for Him to call you up? If I were to tell you right now, hey, Jesus is coming back in 24 hours. I can't do that. The Bible says I can't do that. But for sake of example, if I were to somehow know and I were to say, Jesus is coming back in 24 hours, what would you get busy doing between now and then? You probably need to go ahead and do it anyway because He very well may come back in 24 hours. Crown of righteousness. Do you love the thought of His appearing 
Or does that terrify you? Do you live your life in such a way that if Jesus were to rapture you up to heaven uh, uh, in an hour or two or three, or sometime uh, tomorrow or Thursday of this coming week, that He would rapture you up and you look up from what you were doing and say, Oh, my Lord and Savior, I'm so happy to be in Your presence. Or would you be ashamed over the way you've been living? Letter D, notice crown of glory. I'm going to forego the reading of this. This is a crown offered to those who pastor a church and pastor it well. Letter E, notice lastly, crown of life. Crown of life. I want you to turn over for, with me to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. While you're turning there, James 1 says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Look at Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. We find a very similar verse. It says, Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Hey, if you're not comfortable on earth, it's all good, John says here. Or Jesus says through John. It's all good. Fear not of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Be thou faithful unto death. Many of you here are tempted to give up on righteousness and cave to simple tempta- sinful temptations. James says you're blessed if you endure temptation and there is a crown of life. Jesus said in, in, in Revelation, if you endure that t- uh, temptation, you endure those tribulations, and they kill you, you will receive a crown of life that awaits you for all of eternity. Go back with me to Matthew 6, where we began. Let's look at the verses we read to open the sermon. I'm going to ask you a question, and we're going to be done with the message. Look at your, verse 20. Let's read it together. Can we do that? Matthew 6, verse 20 and 21. Here we go. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. God made you to be materialistic. But, He wants you to delay gratification. Notice these two words. Delayed gratification. He wants you to delay gratification on earth so that you can enjoy it more in eternity. I finished the sermon with a question this morning. Are you wealthy toward God? Are you rich toward God? Or are you rich on earth and poor in heaven? Only you know that. Listen, you may be here today and you may be poor on earth. That's okay. You can still be rich in heaven. You give and you go. You give and you go. And you don't do one at the expense of the other. You do both. You give and you go. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed this morning.